The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. Uh, this week, we are again presented by the Pat Mayo Experience. That's right, a podcast that is sponsored by another podcast. Of course, uh, if you did listen to Pat's show, you probably had a great idea that Brooks Kepka was going to have a good experience at the U.S. Open, and that is the subject material of today's podcast as I enter uh, interview Jason Sobel from the Action Network, and uh, we're just going to go ahead and get right into the interview now. All right, everyone, I'm here with Jason Sobel from the Action Network, formerly of the Golf Channel, and uh, probably, I, I actually checked, and you have, I think, um, the most followers of anyone from, from Golf Twitter, so that's pretty cool, and you also just got done playing a, a round at, a, at Bethpage Black, one of the nicest courses, and uh so you're probably doing pretty good, but uh, I'll ask you anyways. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing okay. I got my butt kicked at Beth Page today. I only played the blue course today. I got my butt kicked, and I'm playing the black tomorrow, so uh, I don't think it's going to get any better. But other than that, life is good. Nice to uh, nice to hear. Pretty jealous of the course you got to play, and you were telling me before your, uh, your handicap. What do you think you would have shot? at Shinnecock on Saturday. What's what's your estimate on for the Saturday. score you would have carded on Saturday? How come it's been Saturday? Couldn't I get a chance to play on Thursday and Friday beforehand and at least try to make the cut? Saturday, um, yeah, Saturday no, is I, the day everyone just got wrecked, so I think that's I the important day. I, Thursday and Friday, I probably would have struggled to break 100. And, uh, I'm guessing I probably wouldn't have broken 100. Maybe if I, I have a good day and maybe if I keep it in the right spots. If I have a good caddy with me, who's kind of helping me around the golf course, uh, that might have helped. Um, Saturday, I was not doing it. Saturday, the uh, the greens were baked out. Uh, it, it was getting really quick out there. Um, those guys were struggling. If the, if the PGA Tour players, if the best players in the world are struggling, um, yes, then you, whoever you are listening right now, whether you're a, a scratch, whether you're a uh, 15 handicap, whatever you are, if Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepner are struggling, yes, you are going to struggle also. I was just trying to imagine myself hitting it out of the rough. Just any of those times, like when I remember Tiger was taking <laughs> practice swings in the rough and seeing seeing Tiger Woods' club get stuck in rough made me think that maybe the USGA went a little bit too hard. And you know, they kind of make the course a character every time they host a tournament. The course becomes this huge debate, and on Saturday, the course was the biggest story, kind of more so that anyone was playing. You know, Zach Johnson was saying they've lost the course. It's unfair. But I kind of think that considering weather and your draw has a huge impact on tournaments anyways, it's mm -hmm. overall, it's not that unfair. So kind of what is your opinion on how the USGA sets it up? And do you think Saturday was legitimately unfair to the players in the field? 
Well, first of all, I am in favor of the U.S. Open being the toughest test in golf. I am in favor of a brutally tough U.S. Open where pars matter and bogeys aren't that bad. So uh, I don't have anything against a tough golf course. The problem that I have is the same problem that most players have, which is, hey, we're okay with hard. We're not okay with unfair. And by unfair, what the players mean is that good shots aren't rewarded, bad shots aren't penalized as much, and luck has a lot more to do with it than skill. And I think that's what we all want to watch, whether it's a course where you're going to shoot 20 under par to, to win the golf tournament or a course where you're going to shoot four over par to win a golf tournament. You just want to see skill involved. And I think too often luck is a determining factor at a U.S. Open golf course when it gets away from them than skill. And so that's, I think, what the biggest gripe of the USGA setup was on Saturday. And then, of course, the USGA, which is very sensitive to criticism because there's been a lot of criticism of the USGA over the last, oh, 15 years or so, and certainly even more lately. Uh, they're so sensitive to it that they went the other way and they made it probably a little too easy on Sunday. Now, I didn't complain about that. I didn't tweet about it. It's also people saying, uh, this isn't a U.S. Open. It's too easy. Tommy Fleetwood shot 63, and he probably could have shot 60 if he had made a couple more putts. Yes, it's true, but, look, we can't have it both ways. So I, I understand that. Uh, it's tough to get the course exactly the way you want to play it. I, I, I don't know how, and I'm not qualified to set up a golf course saying, 66 is going to be the best score out here today and 70 is going to be a good score and 74 still isn't too bad. That's how the course is going to play. I'm not qualified to do that. The problem is I'm not sure the USGA necessarily is either. We don't talk about course setup during the 45 events on the PGA tour schedule that the PGA tour sets up every single week. And yet one time out of the year, every single year we talk about the USGA's course setup. It's because they don't do it. I, Davis, I liken it to I'm not a real handy guy around the house. Sure. If I decide to renovate my kitchen and take out all the cabinets and the sink and say, I'm doing it all myself, let's see what happens, it would not turn out very well. If I hired a contractor, though, the contractor knows what he's doing, I'd pay him, and it would work out pretty well. The USGA is trying to redo their kitchen without being that handy. And instead, what they need to do is go out and hire a, hire a contractor and pay them and do it for them. Well, that's really interesting because I would assume that most people think that there is a contractor, that they that they believe that there is someone inside the USGA who is making that decision, who is like a golf course architect, who knows you know all sorts of things about the grass and the construction that the average person would not know. And so is it really just Mike Davis and kind of his circle that's making the decisions on the course? It is. And, and I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that Mike Davis doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not saying that uh, well, people at the USGA yeah. don't know what they're doing. I, look, I, I think they, they probably get more criticism than they deserve, and it's a really tough job, and there's a ton of scrutiny on them, especially what they've been through over the years. That said, I don't understand why they don't listen to – the players in the actual tournament who have said, hey, let's bring in the guys who run the PGA Tour and have them do it. Let's bring in Kerry Haig, who runs the uh, setup for the PGA Championship and does a fantastic job every year. I'm sure if they brought in a Kerry Haig and said, can you help us out? We're trying to make the golf course harder than you make it for the PGA Championship, but not unfair. What do you think? Uh, I think he'd probably be able to help them. I don't know who the exact right person or people 
are to help them out and make them um, make the golf course uh, play the way they need it to play. But I don't know that them relying on themselves is really working anymore. And uh, the problem with it is there's ego, there's hubris, there's tradition behind it. And so the USGA, I just don't know if they're going to switch this and, and change things anytime soon. Well, speaking of the USGA, they also made what I think was a pretty hilarious decision to not disqualify Phil. And I think that I think that a lot of people, a lot of people will have discussions about this that are related to the USGA's decision. But what I'm actually interested in is, what do you think the other players think about Phil not getting disqued or DQ'd? Because I think that messes with their money. Phil, Phil not being disqualified, you know, pushes someone else out who could have had a higher finishing place. And I, I kind of think a lot of the guys are not going to think Phil being disputed. I think they're going to be annoyed by that. I think there were probably a few players who didn't really think it was the right thing to do and thought he probably should have been disqualified under the rules. I, I think he should have been disqualified. I, I will say I'm not, you know, I, I don't think this hurts Phil's reputation. Um, he's been around for over 25 years, and uh, he, he's been great for the game for so long. I don't think this is like, oh, my God, Phil's the worst guy in golf because he raked a putt before it stopped. Like, I, I think we need to be a little level-headed with this as well. But under the letter of the law, which says if you stop or deflect a moving ball, you are subject to disqualification. I, I don't understand why the USGA would sort of let him off the hook. And I also don't think Phil played this very well either. I mean, first of all, the act itself. Secondly, the spin control afterwards, and Phil Mickelson loves a good agenda. He loves spin control, and yet after the round, he basically said he tried to manipulate the rule and use the rule to his advantage. What he should have said was, I turned 48 years old today. I had my first senior moment. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I hope I didn't lose respect in the eyes of these great New York fans who have supported me for so long. I'm going to go out there tomorrow as long as they'll let me play in this golf tournament. I'm going to put on a good show for them, and I hope they'll continue to cheer for me. If he had said that, I don't think we're talking about it as much as we are right now. No, definitely I think his attitude about it rubbed kind of the sanctimonious golf person's you know, sensibilities the wrong way. And then I think people that do see a big part of golf being the honor of it didn't really like it. But at the end of the day, I think it was a financial decision and people just like to watch Phil play. And I don't think he was ever really in any threat of being disqualified by anyone involved with the Fox or the USGA deal at all. I don't know. I, I think there were probably back discussions. I've heard that USGA officials were, really not happy with Phil. I will say that there's no chance that Phil does that at Augusta National. I don't think Phil does that at an Open Championship. I don't think Phil even does that at a PGA Championship. Uh, there, there are undertones to this that I think that we don't necessarily realize. And Phil's been at odds with the USGA for a long time now and uh, for different reasons, and a lot of it has to do with their course setups and their ego. And I think Phil's got an ego of his own and that clashes with what they do on a regular basis. So you start looking at all of those things, you say, well, you know, this is Phil against the USGA, and he took a chance on I'm going to try to embarrass them a little bit. And in the process, he embarrassed himself a little bit as well. And I think that the next time we see Phil in the tournament, might not be for another three or four weeks, I don't know his exact schedule, but the next time we see him, he will be asked about it. And I think he'll probably be a little bit more contrite about 
what he did and uh, and probably uh, uh, own up to it a little bit more than he has uh, over the last couple of days. So that's kind of more the the not great side of Phil, but I don't think that anyone would generally think of him as a bad person. And you mentioned a little story on your Twitter, which I thought was really interesting, which was that Brooks kind of seems to not have that many friends on tour. And while he was out with his wrist injury, only DJ, Phil, and Bubba texted him. And I've also kind of noticed that he's definitely a favorite of golf Twitter. Like people that bet on golf, people that play golf daily fantasy, they love Brooks. But the mainstream media seems to not really feel that way about him at all. And I'm kind of curious as to your reasoning on why he's not mentioned with guys like Ricky Fowler or Daniel Berger. It's a good question. Probably just because he hasn't won as much. I think that Ricky has been doing this long enough. He hasn't won a major yet, obviously, but he has more wins on the PGA Tour than Brooks. Brooks is quickly catching up to him. But remember, Brooks has three career victories, two of them now happen to be U.S. Opens in the last two years. So I think he's creeping up on those guys. I think this is going to give him a lot more attention. I think this is going to uh, propel him into the spotlight a little bit more. Why doesn't he get more attention? I, he's Look, he's not as loquacious. He's not as articulate or eloquent as a lot of the other players out there. Rory McIlroy in a press conference is fantastic for half an hour as he sits there and whether he's going through his round or breaking down a golf course or talking about his mindset during the Masters, whatever it might be, he's very open and honest and he gives you a lot to work with. Jordan Spieth, very much the same way. Justin Thomas has become the same way as well. We've got a lot of really good speakers in the game. I mean, these guys these days don't just have to be good at golf. You, you almost want them to be good at talking and revealing their innermost feelings as well. That's not really Brooks Kepka's thing. And, and so even last night after he won the U.S. Open, he won for a second straight year. I, I'm sitting with a lot of the writers, a lot of the media, and they're like, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot. Uh, you know, there's just not a whole lot there. You can tell a story, which is, I, I think, a very cool story that he graduated Florida State and then went straight to Europe and played on the Challenge Tour and learned how to win over there, uh, got promoted to the European Tour, won there, finally moved to the PGA Tour, and he's become a top-ten player. Uh, I think that's a, uh, a circuitous route to the PGA Tour and to uh, world-class success. And it's a cool story. I, I just don't know that he speaks in terms where we tend to listen to him and say, man, that guy is so good behind the microphone, and let's go quote him all over the place and write stories about him all over the place. So uh, I just don't know what else is there besides, man, dude's an athlete. He's really good. Hits the long way. Nerves of steel. Yeah, that's about it. So when, when there aren't a whole lot of other moving parts to the situation, I, I think that he probably loses a little luster in the eyes of the media. Not that people don't like him or people don't think he's a really good player. I just don't know that there are a whole lot of stories to write just because Either there's just not a whole lot there, or whatever there is, he's just not telling us, and maybe there's more to it than uh, than we know, and, he, and he's just a little bit more reserved and laid back. Yeah, sure. He, he's not getting divorced or uh, breaking off engagements with tennis stars over text message and stuff like that. Like sure. That's, that's not Brooks's thing. But while we're on that subject, uh, this is my favorite question for anyone in golf. Uh, what Just what do you make of Rory McIlroy? Where, where is his career for you right now? 
is he ever going to get it back or is this going to be a star that burned bright at the beginning and fizzled out far too fast? I, I think Rory is in his own head a little bit. I think he's he's become um, he's gone from the game's biggest young star to maybe it's greatest enigma. Uh, when he runs hot like he did at the Arnold Palmer Invitational a few months ago, I think he's unbeatable. I, I think his A plus game is maybe better than anybody else's A plus game. The problem is that his A plus game doesn't show up as much as other people's A plus game. I think that Dustin Johnson has his best stuff more often than Rory McIlroy. I think Justin Thomas has his best stuff more often than Rory. And so why doesn't Rory show up and play his best golf more often? I don't know. I don't necessarily have an answer to that. Um, I I don't know what's going on other than he's fascinating to me. I, I think that the fact that he won four majors so early in his career, he's trying to get back to that level. The Masters is sort of this thorn in his side, this Achilles heel that he can't get over, and he's trying to go back with all that pressure on him at Augusta every single year. Uh, I think it's a fascinating story. And again, th- that plays into why we write about and why we talk about a guy like Rory McIlroy so much, because there are so many different layers to him that uh, I think you start to peel him back and try to understand him more. Whereas a guy like Brooks Kepka, uh, I think it's sort of what you see is what you get. Hey, he's you know good dude, good athlete, good golfer and he wins U.S. Opens. And, and that's almost end of story. Uh, not that we can't find more, of that, not that we shouldn't find more, but I think that you look at Rory and there's so many different layers that we wind up telling more stories about him. I think if you, if you tell people two years ago that Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy missing the cut at a U.S. Open is not really a story, I think they'd be really surprised. And, and what's happening with Spieth right now is so interesting. His biggest skill and why he was so great uh, you know, in that run he made two years ago was his course management and his putting. And right now he seems to not have either one of those things. Do you think that and something that's true about Spieth is that he does not have the distance that all of the other guys at the top of this leaderboard had. You know, he just he does not hit it as far or as well off the tee as Brooks or DJ or Justin Thomas. And what do you think the recipe for getting back to his game would be for Spieth? I think he just needs to keep doing what he's doing. I, I, I've spent a lot of time around Jordan Spieth. Uh, I've talked to him a lot. I think if anything, he's probably putting a little too much pressure on himself right now, and he's probably listening to the doubters a little too much, saying uh, he was a flash in the pan and he's not that good. Jordan Spieth is 11 months removed from winning an Open Championship. He is going to go to the PGA Championship two months from now with a chance to claim the career Grand Slam at the age of, what is he now, 24, 25? Let's... Let's understand exactly what we're watching right now. And I I think too often we look at things just sort of in the bubble of what we've seen over the last couple of months. I think we need to see big picture on Jordan Spieth. And, okay, he's still a great player. He hasn't played great right now. But you go back and look at Jack Nicklaus. You look at Arnold Palmer. You look at Gary Player. For different periods earlier in their careers, they all went, you know, months without a victory. It, it happens sometimes. It happens to the greatest players in the world. Tiger Woods, uh, when he was, uh, after he won the 97 Masters, he, he didn't play great golf for the next couple of years. I, I, I'm not trying to compare Jordan Spieth and Tiger Woods, but it happens with everybody out there. And uh, I think that we need to look big picture and say, look, the guy's won three majors. If we knew nothing about Jordan Spieth, 
And I told you six years ago, or what was it, maybe eight years ago, the first time he played the Byron Nelson when he was a, a high school kid, that, hey, this guy's going to win three majors by the time he's 24 years old. You'd say, man, that's great. And then if I said, oh, but then he's going to slump a little bit and he won't play that well at the Colonial. You'd say, okay, but that's not such a bad thing. Three majors, that's really good. He's a superstar. And I think we have to keep reminding ourselves that, okay, he can, you know, he have a few miscuts here and there and he can have a few like sort of middling results and his putting stats aren't great. The guy is still a superstar player and he's going to get it back at some point. I think a lot of people are going to look really foolish for sort of writing off Jordan Spieth and saying that uh, he isn't as good as he was or he was a flash in the pan. Yeah, and I think we all have a tendency to be prisoners of the moment just because that's the way our culture works, which is actually uh, what we're going to close out with. An important question that I have for anyone involved with the game of golf is, where do you see the popularity of televised golf going forward? You know, is this going to be something that, you know, the rights of majors are sold for billions of dollars 30 years from now? Do you think that I, I personally think that golf has the ability to take a lot of the market share from baseball because baseball is moving re- in one direction that a lot of people are not really interested in. But I think that if you just look at the leaderboard from the U.S. Open, there are so many guys who are in their 20s who are playing great golf, who have the ability to generate legends kind of the way that Tiger did, the way that Phil has done. So so where do you see golf, the popularity of it, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now? <laughs> That's a very big picture question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it with a couple of different things. Uh, first of all, Competitor-wise, I think what we saw on Sunday at the U.S. Open with Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson in the penultimate pairing, that's what we should expect over that next time period. I think you're going to see kids who are 14, 15 years old, super athletic, go out there on the football field, make a tackle, get a concussion. Mom and dad say, no more football for you. And all of a sudden, these guys who are uh, 6'4 and 230, are going to go from playing football or maybe even basketball or another sport and say, I can play golf for the rest of my life, have nobody trying to physically harm me, and I can make millions of dollars doing it. Why would I not do that? And I think we're going to see the game turn more athletic. I think we're going to see more and more of these guys who look like they could be playing any other sport and they just have to choose golf. So I think that helps the overall look of the game. I think that helps bring more people to the game. If you have guys who quite frankly, look like Brooks Kepka instead of looking like Jim Fuhrer, uh, all of a sudden you have younger people, younger athletes who say, you know, that guy kind of reminds me of myself. He reminds me of my friends. He, he reminds me of uh, someone that I would like to root for, and, and I think that helps. The other thing, I'll tell you, Davis, that just a few months ago I left a very good job at ESPN covering golf to come work for the Action Network. And what we do is uh, we try to make people smarter about what they're watching, but we don't hide the fact that, we are trying to give you uh, good tips for gambling, good tips for fantasy, good tips for DFS every single day. And so the legality and regulation of this over the next couple of years, where it's going to be state by state by state, one at a time, all sort of making this legal, I think that is going to be bigger for golf than any other sport. And the reason I say that is because you can look at a football game and you say, okay, well, I like the Cowboys at, at minus five and a half. And I, I like the over in that game. And, and maybe, you know, there are obviously other prop bets. You know, I might take this guy over under 100 rushing yards. Or, you know, the quarterback over 
under uh, 300 passing yards. But in golf, you've got 156 players in the field. You've got so many different bets. You've got live betting. I think it really lends itself to live betting where you say, okay, the next hole is the 16th. Is Dustin Johnson going to beat Brooks Kepka on that hole? Is Dustin Johnson going to make a birdie, a par, or a bogey on that hole? I think that the gambling aspect of what we see in professional golf is going to make it a very, very popular sport over the next five years when this becomes all legalized and regulated. So I, I think that's going to be a, a huge boom to the game. It's going to be an even bigger boom to the PGA Tour itself, which not only brings in more fans who say, I, I don't really care that much about golf, but I care a lot about my money. And if I'm putting money on stuff, I'm going to sit and watch it, and I'm going to put money on golf because I think I can win. And so all of a sudden you're bringing in new fans, but the PGA Tour also owns all of its data. They own all the shot link data. It's proprietary. So unlike the NBA, where if LeBron James makes a, a three-pointer to, to go up one late in the game, that, that's live scoring. And so the, you, all the sports books have that live scoring, whereas if you want to bet on Dustin Johnson to make a birdie on the 16th hole, well, it's only live through the PGA Tour's proprietary data. And so they're going to wind up getting a cut of everything that sports books are doing. And they're going to stand to make uh, a lot of money with a lot of zeros on the end of it. And this becomes sort of mainstream in the next couple of years. And so I think there's a huge growth area, potential growth area for golf and the PGA Tour through that, um, like I said, over the next three, four, five years and beyond. That is a point that I have not heard anyone make about the shot link data, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that is going to be huge for them financially, which will obviously lead to a larger market share of the television audience through advertising. Jason, thank you so much for uh, for talking U.S. Open, for talking a little bit of golf, and uh, I hope you're able to get, I mean, at least a 73 at Beth Page tomorrow. <laughs> 73 at Beth Page. I'll sign up for the PGA right now. Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, everyone, please make sure to follow Jason on Twitter at JasonTAN and check out his work on the Action Network.